Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. When, when I think about Israel, it, it kind of takes me back to a long plane ride. Our first Israel trip, um, my wife Jackie was on that trip. We went with a bunch of our staff from our previous church, and, and my mom was on that trip. And the, the difficult thing is when you book for Israel, you don't get to pick your seats. And so what a lot of people do is when you get to the airport, you try to shuffle around the seats to make sure you can sit with people you want to sit next to, uh, have a friend to travel with, et cetera. So I have this bright idea of I'm going to try to get all of us together, me, Jackie, my mom. I think there was one, one more person with us. And, and so I, I was trying to maneuver the seats. And by the grace of God, there were three seats available. The, the, only, the only downside was is that they were right up against the restrooms. And so on, on this flight to Israel, there, is a, um, there are two rows, two aisle, like two, uh, three seats on one aisle, three seats on another. And then there's a middle aisle that has a, a few seats in the middle. It's a big plane. I think it's a 747. And so we got these seats and they were right up against the restrooms. So you had restrooms on this side, two of them, and you had restrooms on this side. So your seats did not recline. And every time the bathroom door opens, you get the beautiful fragrance of whatever is happening from pulpery to you can imagine. And so I wasn't very favorable. Jackie's like, are you Sarah? I would have sat so far away from you, right? And so we were both like, oh my goodness, what just happened? And so at that moment, you're looking for every angle. We have a long flight. We can't recline. And we have like the worst smells over and over and over. So you're trying to sleep. You're trying to find every angle of comfort you possibly can. At one point, I laid on the floor so Jackie could lay on the seats. And then my mom didn't want to mess up her hair. So she's a boss. She sat up straight the whole time. I'm like, mom, you are a champ for that one. But you're just looking for, for every angle. It was tough. How many of you guys know it's, it can be tough to stay together? It can be difficult. Now, one of the things about staying together, one of the things about relationships, whether it's a marriage, whether it's dating, whether it's family, the reality is relationships, as you have probably known, they take work, they take effort, they take intention. And then these beautiful words that we all resonate with, like surrender and serving and vulnerability and truth and honesty and communication, compassion, understanding, dying to self. Can I get an amen? Relationships take work. It can be tough to stay together, but, but they also take vision. Because vision in a relationship determines the angle. It, de- it determines your approach. As we're on this flight to Israel, we're looking for every angle to get comfortable. What my saving grace was, was this, is that we're on our way to Israel. Like, how are you going to be mad at me when we're going to the Holy Land? Do you know what I'm saying? There's vision. You can endure when there's vision. If that would have been our ride home, it would have been, it would have been even worse, right? But you're going to Israel. Who cares if we got to sit next to the bathrooms with no reclining? Go to the Holy Land. There's vision, and it determines the angle. Recently signed up my girls for MMA. 
because they're girls, so no one's going to mess with them when they're older. My two girls, Olivia and Abigail, uh, Hannah's not quite there yet, but they're, they're on the bottom, as you can see, and they're working some jujitsu in this, in this particular picture. And, and in jujitsu, you're looking for an angle. So if you're on the top, you're looking for an angle so you can get them in the arm bar. That's what they're practicing and get them in that tight little arm bar so that the other person submits and eventually just taps out because they're like, I'm done. You're going to break my arm. Stop. Now, if you're on the top, that's the angle you're looking for. Now, if you're on the bottom, your angle is you are trying to get out from underneath so that you can get on top, get that person in arm bar and cause them to submit. No one likes to submit. Like, it's just not, like, relationally, like, we just don't get excited about surrender. Oh, I just can't wait to surrender today. Like, you're in an argument. Oh, I just can't wait to lay down my life for you. Like, like we, we just don't. A lot of times in relationships, we're looking for angles. We're looking for angles to get on top so we can get that person in a bar or a choke or something so that they will tap out and understand, like, who's really the, the one. And so, so what do we do? We learn behaviors. We learn how to work certain angles. We learn how to manipulate. And the moment we feel the slightest bit of submission, we work an angle to get out of it. Don't want to be in a place of submission. Now, now Jackie and I, it's, it's been pretty amazing. This August, we'll be married 18 years. And every time you say that, like everybody claps. Oh, it's awesome. I feel every, no joke. I, I think I said this before. I feel like a comedian. Every time I say, yeah, me and my wife have been married 18 years. Everybody's like, yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it is something to celebrate. We look at each other now, we're like, 18 years. I, I was telling uh, my father-in-law uh, this, like, a couple weeks ago. I said, man, isn't it crazy? I am your age when I first met you. Like, let that sink in for a moment. Like, when I first met my father-in-law, he was my age. And so just time goes by so fast. And 18 years has gone by really, really quick. But in the beginning of our relationship, notice I say beginning because we don't struggle anymore. We are perfect. Um, just in case you were wondering, in the beginning of our relationship, we had different angles. You know, you get into a heated conversation in the car. Jackie had what we call the window angle, where she defaults to looking out the window <laughs> and not at me. Our personalities is I like to fix it right away. I'm, I'm a verbal person. I love to communicate. Jackie loves to process a little bit and then communicate. So if we were getting into an argument, she could take the window angle, kind of shut down a little bit, and then I just start talking, right? Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead and look out the window. How do you think God feels about that? <laughs> Worship leader? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't use that. All the time. Sometimes, not all the time. Let's go, worship leader, spirit of the living God moving in this place. And so, and then you pull up to the venue and somebody's got to give because we're pastors. We, like, we're going to be in front of people. We can't do it like this. So who's going to apologize? Who's going to submit first? <laughs> You, you said it, not me. No, I'm just kidding. But, but for, some, for some of us, for some of us, that apology is like the ultimate submission. 
Like it just feels like some of you, you apologize in a multiplicity of ways except for saying it. And you want the other person to get, well, this is just my way of letting you know, why don't you just tell me? Because it feels like the ultimate submission. I can't do that. I think if you were to look at the angle of Jesus's life, it would have looked like defeat. I mean, he lived a life of service for people that didn't deserve it. He was ridiculed. He was betrayed. He was accused. Yet he still died on a cross for those people. You'd hear him say things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as he's being brutally murdered on a cross. And you would just look at the angle. Most people looked at the angle of Jesus' life and they said, man, we had thought you were the son of God. Like we had hoped you were the son of God, but, but we just can't see the angle. It, it doesn't make sense. You're suffering and you're dying. And in all reality, the crazy part about it is he lost no dignity. He lost no influence. He lost no power. In fact, it was the opposite. It was so attractive that everywhere Jesus went, People were drawn. And I want to paint this picture for you. John chapter 13, Jesus knew something. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, all things, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so Jesus had great vision and great clarity of the power that he held and who he was, that he held the most powerful position that will ever exist. He is still, this moment, the most powerful person in this room. I can't say he was because he always was, always is, and will always be the most powerful. He is outside of time as we know it. And he gives us this picture of, a, of, of what power looks like. And it's him. He is the personification of power. But his ways were totally different. See, the world would say, why would you leverage your power and your position to help other people? Like most of the time, we're going after power and we're going after position to make our lives easier. But his power, his position he used in a revolutionary way, a complete reversal of the world's values that would do what? a complete opposite of how the world and how you and I would naturally respond to things. He used his power and position as leverage to serve other people. Jesus knew some things. Like, let me break it down even further. Paul says in uh, John chapter 13 that Jesus knew the Father, had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he's all powerful, he's all this. So what's the angle? Because a lot of times when you, when you read this, if you just read at face value, Jesus knew the Father put all things under his power. What would be your angle if the Father gave you all power? What would be after your so, I made everybody pay. So I, you fill in the blank. What would be the angle? And so Jesus' angle it said, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Ultimate authority, the highest position that could ever exist, the one that could command armies of angels, 
the one who has the entitlement to all praise, all worship, who speaks the universe into existence. As Paul breaks it down even further, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authority, all things have been created through him and for him. Paul continues, he says, man, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. I mean, get this, not only is all things created through him, by him, for him, but he holds it all. He holds it all, bless you. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God in all of his fullness, read this carefully. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of what? Of Christ's blood on the cross. Just look at that last portion. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of overthrowing everybody that got in the way. No, by Christ's blood on a cross. All powerful, all knowing, all everything. And he puts a towel around his waist. The, the gravity of this, I think Luke really captures it. Luke 22 it's this moment is happening after the Last Supper. They just finished it. And the bread, the wine, the cup. And then the disciples are arguing. The cross is hours away, and the disciples are arguing over who's going to be the greatest. The last thing they're thinking about is, hey, who can put on a towel first? They're arguing over who can be the greatest. The last thing they're thinking about is washing one another's feet. They're looking for a wrong angle because they had the wrong vision. What they were seeing and what they were going after, it, it, was, it was messing with their angle. And Jesus is like, dude, I'm the most powerful person ever. And I'm here to show you this beautiful reality that as your Lord and teacher, I have washed your feet. So you want to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. How many guys like feet? How many of you guys are just weirded out by feet? You don't even like feet, your feet, all feet. But just like sandals. These guys' feet, they're dirty. These, these are feet of betrayal in just a few moments. These are going to be feet of denial that they even knew him in a matter of hours. And by one of these feet, he would endure the cross. And so Jesus is painting a picture for us. He's like, man, the, the bread and the cup, my body and my blood and the towel. I, I want you to get this picture, the body, the blood, and the towel. I'm going to be beaten. My blood is going to be spilt. And, and this towel, this gar my garments are about to be taken from me willfully. Like I am getting ready to lay down my life. He was stripped, beaten, and killed willfully. Like I said, he could have commanded an army of angels, but he didn't. That was a willful laying down his life, letting go of his garments, naked, humiliated, nailed to a cross. Why? So that you and I would ultimately be washed in his blood, forgiven of our sins, as he endured ultimate humility and devastation 
so we could be clean. So it's, it, you can see the towel, you can see the dirty feet, but there's a bigger picture that, that this is pointing to. He's like, it's not just going to be, I'm going to wash your feet with water, but you're going to be washed in my blood. It's, 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 the game is about to change. And you guys are arguing over who's first. You've got the wrong vision, and so you have the wrong angle. Are, are you tracking with me? Do as I have done to you. And so he's like, listen, as your Lord and as your teacher. And so I want you to take this just as I have done for you. I want you to go and do for others. So let me just put it like this. Wherever you are, Lord, wherever you are, teacher, wherever you are positioned, wherever you have influence, wherever you have authority, he says, he calls us, you and me, to the towel. Wherever you're in position, wherever you have authority, wherever you have influence, wherever you have power, the towel should be present. Because no servant is greater than his master. Now, this is incredible. I, 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 this, this passage, this next verse, is so easily passed over. Verse 17 says this. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I've never heard this preached. I always hear of the washing of the feet, but never the outcome. He said, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You know, when we go to Israel, we're going to visit this place, a beautiful place in the desert called the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea is the, the lowest point on earth. It's seven times more salty than any other bodies of water. And the interesting thing about this, it's, it's very salty. Like, it's extremely salty. It's so salty, when you go into the Dead Sea, you, you, you don't sink, you float. So if any of you have been to Israel, you, and if you guys are going with us, you'll have an opportunity to go into the Dead Sea. The last thing you want to do is rub your eyes. It will affect your vision, and you will have a terrible angle for the rest of the trip. But you can try to sink. You don't need a life jacket, you don't, because... The salt, it's so buoyant. It's so beautiful, but it's dead. It's dead because it doesn't have an outflow. So if you go up north just a little bit to the Sea of Galilee, you'll see another beautiful body of water, but it's full of life. It's, it's full of fish. It's, it's just full of life. Because the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, then the Jordan River flows out from the Sea of Galilee. So the, the Sea of Galilee has an inflow and an outflow. And then once the water gets to the Dead Sea, there's no more outflow. So it just hoards everything to itself. And even though it has some minerals and it's so rich, you can't stay in the Dead Sea very long. There's no depth. And I just thought, listen, Jesus is saying, listen, as there is an inflow, just as I have done to you, you do for one another. There has to be an inflow and there has to be an outflow. Otherwise, what's going to happen relationally is the same thing. You're going to be super salty. Can't really be around each other for a long time because the, the, the salt sea will eat at your skin. You can only stay there so long. No depth. Because every time you try to go deep, you just pop back up to the surface. Because there's no outflow. And so, so I, I want you to get this picture. Jesus said, man, I want you 
to be blessed. I want your relationships to be blessed. This, he is speaking in the context of relationship. And this word blessed, a lot of times we don't understand it. We say, oh, blessed. Bless you. Be blessed. <laughs> Blessings. But, but, but it literally means to be envied. It means to be happy. It, it means large. It means growth. It means long range, meaning you can go the distance. But I love this part of the, the root meaning of this, of this word. It means God extends his benefits. So I want you to get that picture. He said, man, if you do these things relationally, you'll be able to go the distance. There will be depth. There will be vastness. There will be growth. And I'm going to extend my benefits there. That is awesome. People are wondering, how do I, how am I happy? Jesus is saying, get a towel. He's speaking in the context of relationships. So you're like, man, that preach is really, really good. Inflow, outflow, life, death, man. Um, but I'm in some real relationships. And tomorrow was Monday. What does that look like? Well, Paul says it looks like, wives, submit yourselves to your own. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And all the wives said, amen. Now, a lot of times we take this out of context. This passage is abused. How do you submit to the Lord, ladies? You submit willfully out of his goodness, out of his kindness, out of his love. There is a willful submission to the Lord. And so, in other words, there should be a willful, not a forceful submission to your husbands. Now, already, even when I say that, you're like, oh. Well, let's make sure there's context. Because, men, this, this is not a caveman context. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you are woman. Boom, you follow me. <laughs> not that. And so many men, true story, so many men want to quote this. They get very spiritual in moments of submission. Men are like, it is written. You're supposed to submit to me. But notice, guys, this. Notice who the Lord is speaking to. He's speaking to wives. He's not speaking to you. He's not speaking to you. He's speaking to wives. Let me say that again. He's not speaking to you. He's speaking to wives because we have our own words that he speaks to us. And he says to us, husbands, love your wives. See, they submit as they do to Christ, but he says, for you husbands, it's even, it's, it's even a, you got to die. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so, so do you see what's happening here? Some of you are like, thank God I'm single. <laughs> like you've never been more excited in this moment to be single. You're like, man, this whole submission thing is out of control. But this is, where, this is where we miss it. Ready for verse 21? Verse 21 says this. Oh, somebody messed with my slides in the back. Pastor James, man. There he goes. And further, submit to one another out of reverence. 
What does it mean? It means submission is an all play in every relationship. Talks about kids also and other texts submitting to their parents. Out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. So, so what, what, is, what is the Holy Spirit pointing to? The, the Holy Spirit is pointing to a mutual submission. That this is how there's supposed to be a reversal of values. When the world is constantly fighting for a position, we leverage our position for one another. When the world is constantly fighting for power and authority to make it better on themselves, we are to leverage our authority, power, and position for one another. This is a very easy preach. It's a very hard live because we know people. And not every person is worthy to be submitted to. This word submit is a military term. It literally means to bear up under, to come up under one another. I'm going to use my position. I'm going to use my authority to serve others. Can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to relationships, we have to have a, a clear vision because it will determine every angle that you take. In other words, let me say it this way, is we need to start asking, what can I give from me rather than what can I get for me? That's the transition. Like, like when Jackie and I were newly engaged, her car got stolen. And when her car got stolen, I, I, I purchased a brand new truck at that time recently. It was a brand new, like 2003 or 2004 Chevy or GMC Sierra. But I also had a 92 Cutlass. So when her car got stolen, I did what any man would do. I gave her the Cutlass. Like, you know what I mean? Hey, I got you. No worries. Got you covered. Went from an Acura to a Cutlass. Cutlass was comfortable. It was, you know, when you were on the freeway, it kind of had that. It was comfy. I always get pulled over in Pleasant too whenever I was driving that car back in the day. And, uh, and so I remember sitting in a conference. I was sitting in a conference, and I just felt the Lord speak to me like, bro, you got to give her the truck. Like, we're engaged, and I'm like, Lord, I don't even know her that well. Are you sure? And I just, I, I just didn't piece the two together. It's, it's hard sometimes to leverage your best for the sake of others. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but you don't know my family. You don't know my spouse. You don't know my, my friend dynamic. You don't know what I've been through. You want me to tap out when in reality I'm tapped out. I'm tired. I don't have any more to give. I'm always giving. And can I just be sensitive to that? I, get, I understand. I mean, I understand your situation, but I know what it feels like to give, give, and give, and give, and give, and give. And there's no reciprocation or sometimes it's the exact opposite. So I, I, I get that. I get that. It's, it's easier at that point to be like, well, what about, can I, what can I get for me finally? Not to what can I give from me. It's really easy to preach. It's not always hard to live out because not everybody is worthy to be submitted to. And so if you've been through a divorce, can I just tell you, there's no condemnation here. It's from this point forward. If you are in an abusive relationship, by no means will I ever say, stay, suck it up and submit. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I will say is that people will constantly take advantage of you, and that's not going away. Like as a pastor, you would think like nobody takes advantage of you, but oh, people do. They don't mean to, but they do. But I can't let that change who I am and who God has called me to be. Like, like just because Judas was going to betray him doesn't mean that Jesus is like, forget your towel, buddy. You ain't getting washed. Peter was going to deny him. He, he knew all of that. 
That's what he's saying. If, if me as a teacher have leveraged things this way, then if no servant is greater than his master, then are, are we really leveraging our position, our power, our influence, who God has called us to be? Are, are we picking up the towel? Are we more from me or are we more for me? But I think we misunderstand com, uh, submission in, in a multiplicity of ways. I think some of you might be thinking, well, what do I do? Just let people walk all over me? That sounds awesome. Can't wait to follow Jesus. No, I'm saying what, what he calls us to is to meet others' needs first. And can I, everybody lean in? People don't need to take advantage of you. They don't need to walk all over you. You say, well, what am I saying? A lot of times we think of submission as no confrontation. That's not real intimacy. That's not real relationship. That's not real submission. In fact, a relationship that has a mutual submission, there will be a lot of confronting. There will be a lot of conversation. However, you got to make sure you're filtering it properly. For example, no confrontation. What you're really doing is putting your need of peace and comfort over their need for loving truth. You're either afraid. You don't want to have the long convo. You're just like, oh, and so really... The lack of confrontation, it's not for them, it's really for you. They're explosive. You don't know what they're like, but that may be what they need. But then at the very same time, if you love confrontation, many times you're putting your need to be right over their need for patient endurance. And so confrontation is good when you have the right vision, when the angle is to move one another closer to God and closer to each other. Are you, are you with me on that? Confrontation is great. A, a, a marriage that's great with no confrontation is not a great marriage. They're just probably not dealing with reality. Submission does not mean we ignore reality. Submission says there's a mutual submission or there's a mutual dying. No, 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 we deal with reality. And we bring the reality to Jesus and let him work it out in our heart. It's huge. Tim Keller says it this way. He says to submit to one another does not be passive or active, but your passivity or your activity is based on the need of the person. Let that sink in just for a moment. So, so you might be asking, okay, well, well, how does this happen? Because even as you're talking, like, I love confrontation, I'm kind of messed up there. Or maybe you're on the opposite and you're like, I hate it. I'm tired of it. So what do we do? Can I encourage you as your pastor, the reason why that we want you to be biblically literate is because unfortunately we're living in a day in the church where most people are biblically illiterate. We want you to be biblically literate. We want you to understand the Bible. You're like, okay, what does that have to do with relationships? Everything. Paul, earlier in this text, in this chapter, he says this, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God our Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word filling, don't get distracted by movement. Lean in. I'm telling you, if there's one thing the enemy does not want you to do, he wants you to leave early, and he does not want you to catch this reality. And so I know some of our team has to move, so grace them. But, or if you have to use the bathroom, no condemnation. But... But, but this word filling, it's a continuum. It's a be being filled. 
And we see a lot of different ways that people are filled with the Spirit. This is not to be confused with the baptism of the Spirit. We see in the book of Acts, they were praying and they were filled with the Spirit. They're on mission, filled with the Spirit. Peter's preaching, filled with the Spirit. But Paul is speaking something specific here. And he's talking about wine. He said, don't be drunk on wine. Now, the thing that's interesting about wine is it permeates every aspect of the body. Judgment. Reflex or lack of reflex. Judgment or lack of judgment. And when you draw blood after drinking some wine, it will show up in your blood. It hits the bloodstream immediately, permeates your entire body. And so he's saying the the spirit of God needs to permeate our bodies, our lives, our hearts, our judgment, our mind, our everything on a regular basis of being filled to to permeate every act, every part of our life. But Ephesians tells us what, but Colossians tells us how. He tells us in Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul's going to say the same thing. He's going to say the same thing. He says, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto God. Ephesians says, be filled. Colossians, he says, this is how. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, it's important that you understand this word, word of Christ. Whenever you see the word, word in the scripture, in regards to God's word, it has one of two meanings, either logos or rhema. Logos is the general word of God communicating his ability and general will on a matter, meaning take the entirety of scripture. It's the logos. It's the word. The rhema is the word of God where the Holy, is the word where the Holy Spirit quickens a specific person to a specific situation. One person said it like this, the logos is the well and the rhema is a bowl dipped in the well full of water. Meaning it's, the, the, the rhema is the moment where the Holy Spirit quickens the revealed will of God, the, the logos word to our hearts and our mind for a specific person or situation or moment. For example, the keys right now, the keyboard is, it's the logos. There's tons of keys all over. It's just, it's this whole masterpiece of sounds. But then the rhema can go from a B flat so what word is what what song right now is on your heart, Louise? What, what's word, what song is on your heart right now? That's a rhema. So it's like I'm still on the same keypad, but the Spirit of God illuminated me right now. There's a song that just quickened. There's something that just came, a word that God has given me, or a revelation, or an understanding that's quickened my heart. I'm still playing on the keys, uh, the keyboard. I'm just playing in a specific key with a specific song. So the reason why I say that is because what Paul is talking about here is the logos. And it's so important because he says, I want the logos to dwell in your hearts. It's the same wording that Pastor James used last week to make residence in. I want it to dwell in your hearts richly, which means what? The original language in the Greek, it means an abundance. It means much in quantity. And then he says, I want you to admonish. There's an inflow. There's a constant inflow. And then there's an outflow 
of admonishing, which means to warn, to counsel, or to exhort. And so what Paul is saying, I, this is how it becomes so practical. How are we filled with the Spirit? Remember, the Word of God is inspired by the Spirit of God. To be full of the Word of God, letting it permeate every ounce and being, every part of our being is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, you can have the knowledge of the word, but not let it permeate your heart. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul's saying like wine permeates everything. Let the word of Christ do the same thing. And, and, and it makes sense because you're like, how do I do this? How do I continue to be being filled? Well, you stay and you dwell richly in great quantity and time in the word of Christ. There's an inflow, and then there's an outflow of singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. The Logos appeals to the mind, supplying the doctrinal spiritual substance that puts pressure on our logic and our reasoning to choose to turn to God's angle, to choose to turn to God's best. A lot of times we think about being filled with the Spirit, we think wind, but not word. And can I just say, ladies and gentlemen, we need both. We need both because wind comes through the word and the word comes through the wind. We need vision that changes the angle. And so, so there's an inflow, the word, the logos, and then there's an outflow. And God says the outflow, when you do this, when you live like this, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. You're going to play in a different key. So you're like... What's, what's the key? The key is this. Nobody that you love dearly or that you hate desperately is worthy to be submitted to. I am not worthy of it. You are not worthy of it. Just period. That's why he says out of reverence for Christ, out of this awe-inspiring love. When you see that he became ultimately last for you and for me, when we were never worthy, it inspires our hearts with awe, with wonder, and begins to help us see a different vision that takes a different angle. Are you with me on that? When you begin to see the one who submitted his life for us, just let that sink in just for a moment. It caused you to ask, well, what's my angle? Is it from you or for you? Is it for me or from me? Some of you are like, but I just don't think I'll be happy like that. Jesus was the happiest person, is the happiest person on the planet. And he spent his life with this angle. Literally. For people who don't deserve it. Father, I know what you have given me. And now I gladly give it away. Inflow and an outflow that leads to blessing. Letting the word, the logo. So can I just tell you, if you're struggling relationally and you're not spending time in God's word, letting it permeate you, you're robbing yourself of a blessing. You're robbing your relationship of a blessing. Let the word of God deal with your stuff. You don't want your spouse to deal with it? That's fine, let God deal with it. It's way better that way anyways. Family, they, they don't want to, you don't want them to deal with stuff? That's fine. Let's let God deal with your stuff. Just let his word dwell in you richly. Create space for God's word to permeate.
permeate your life. Press weight on your judgment and your logic so that you can live in the blessing of God relationally. Now, you can't control somebody. You can't control the other person. But I'm just telling you, even when people are out of control, you'll still be able to serve them. Even though they're going to betray you, even though you'll still be able to serve them because you know who you are. You know what's been given to you. And you know all that Christ has done for you. It doesn't make it easy, but it does make it more palatable and understanding. And almost a conviction to do so because no servant is greater than his master. If he did it for us, he's empowered us to do it for others. What is your angle and is a towel in your hand? If not, they're on sale at Costco. Go buy a bunch of them. Will you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you. Father, I know that you desire for our relationships to be blessed. Lord, I pray that, Lord, even angles right now are shifting because a new vision is transpiring, God. That you are shifting hearts. You're giving sight where there's been blindness. You're doing something supernatural, God. And we just ask in this moment, Holy Spirit, that if our angle is wrong, that we wouldn't be arrogant and prideful to go and repent, to go and apologize. You know, there's something so powerful of just going to somebody and saying, man, I've had the wrong angle because I've had the wrong vision. Taking things wrong. Let God transform you in that moment and bring healing to somebody that you love because there's a sincere repentance. There's no shame in that. There's beauty. You won't lose dignity. You'll get more respect. You won't lose love. You'll gain it. So I just pray where there needs to be repentance that you would do a deep work in our hearts, God. Lord, I just sense that there are some in here like Peter that said, Lord, don't, you, can't, you can't wash me. Get away from me, Lord. I can't let you wash me because you've done too much. And Jesus said, Peter, unless I wash you, you can't be with me. So Peter then said, okay, well then from head to toe, Lord, please do it. Let him wash you today. You are not unworthy of his servant. You are not unworthy of his service. Let him serve you so that you can serve him with all of your heart and other people. God, what you do in us, let it be an outflow. Not trying really, really hard to serve, but just let it be an overflow of how you have served us. Let us not lose sight of the bread, the body, and the towel. Help us to pick up the towel again, God, that our relationships might go the distance in a world where they're not. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you again for tuning in to The Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love Him deeply, and follow Him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.